You are listening to Overcomers Church International Podcast. Here at OCI, we are dedicated to our vision of building strong people and building strong churches. From wherever you are listening, we hope this message leaves you equipped and encouraged. I got a lot we're going to jump into. We're going to go quick. So you're going to want to, uh, you're going to want to pay attention. You're going to want to listen. You're going to want to really process what I'm saying to you because it's going to really help you immensely take you forward. Um, you know, when you've been through a lot of battles in the Word of God, there's a lot of people that have theory, a lot of theory. You know, in the military, one of the things, and, and Heather's grandfather, my wife's grandfather, was actually... Uh, a World War II veteran who fought alongside Easy Company. If you remember that, Easy Company that fought over in uh, World War II, he was near them and he was actually a sharpshooter for them. I have snipers in my family, people that serve, and different individuals. And one of the things they've told me is never follow a second lieutenant. Right? A second lieutenant is someone that they have all the training, they have all the, you know, the ability, they've gone through like West Point or something, and then they go into battle, and they have all the book knowledge to go lead you out there, just enough knowledge to get everybody killed. And there's something to be said for tenured, well-tested, beat metal that stands up under great pressure. And everybody say this with me. Say, patterns... Determine capacity. That means this. If you see somebody that has done something over and over and over again, and actually you don't know it, but you see somebody do something really stupid in your midst, or they do it in ministry, or they do it in business, you can probably look back, and if you see it's a one-off experience or everybody makes a mistake here and there, fine. But if you look back over like a 10-year cycle, and you see that they've had this type of issue over and over and over and over. Don't judge people based on how much you like them. This has been my biggest issue. Pastor Kent, this has been my problem in, in ministry. And until Deepak came along, he's like, oh, that's stupid. Okay. I got to tell you, there's been times I've really judged people based on their potential, how much I like them. But patterns are what you can really bank on. If you want to know what somebody's going to do, look at what they have done. Watch their pattern over and over again, and then give them a place either in your organization or your life based on their pattern, okay? And let them earn while they learn. Let them earn into the next level what God's called them to do. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's a kingdom principle. What I want to know is when people come, I've had people say to me over the years, they're like, Joseph, it seems like you've been through some things. I'm not so sure about you. You know, you've had a few things happen in your life. And I like to say to them, you know what? Actually, I'm not so sure about you. It's your lack of battle and your lack of experience and your lack of overcoming insurmountable, unbelievable odds that makes me not sure if I should trust you. Dun, 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 right? We've got to begin to recognize something about this. No, God has called you and I to overcome. That's why we're an overcomer's church. But the way you overcome is not showing faithfulness on a weekend. You don't show faithfulness in an afternoon. You don't show faithfulness in an hour by stacking chairs. I want to see how you respond on your worst day. Because I like to say it this way, folks. On a bad day, you're called to be the best there is. Anybody can fall apart on a bad day. Show me someone that'll stand up, put their mouth guard in and go, oh, I guess it's prison rules, huh? <laughs> right? Ah, <laughs> oh, prison rules. You just stand up, man. I'll tell you what. If you look at battles as if this means the devil is very disappointed in where I'm headed, battles can become a stamp of approval. I don't want to go into battle with somebody that has their new pressed clothes on. They're a second lieutenant that walks out and they're like, this way, ha-ha, we're going to go that way. And, and all the guys with like one eye and like half a, half a leg and, you know, they got the mangled bodies. They're like, we wouldn't go through that swamp, son. There's mines in there, right? <laughs> and they're like, no, let's go. And I think what happens is, is I want to go with somebody that's been through it a little bit and still sweet, and still in faith, 
and not a burnt stone. You know, there's three words God's given me about this. You got the burnt stones, you got the Cinderella's, and the young lions. And those three categories of people is what I believe God is raising up. And then, of course, there's a fourth one that I throw in there because they're a wild card, and I call them the Rudolphs, okay? But the burnt stones are this. They're the old John Rambos. You know what I'm talking about? You ever seen the movie Rambo? Why are you watching that movie? That's not godly. I'm just kidding. No, Rambo is, uh, you know, he's an old war hero. He's an old uh, veteran, right? And the colonel comes to find him. He's like, I don't do that anymore. I don't really do that anymore. Rambos are those guys that are out in the woods sharpening a stick by the fire, just getting ready to hunt and help a little, little tribe of people doing what they do. And then the colonel comes and says, hey, we need your help, John. Johnny, we need your help. And Rambo's like, I don't do that anymore. Find someone else, colonel, right? But then the war becomes so difficult. The people that are engaged, they need help so much that an event is so catastrophic that Rambo decides, all right, one more time. I'm going to go into battle. Takes his shirt off, puts the belt on, puts the knife in, throws the bullet chain around his chest, and walks into battle and begins to go, ah! No, I'm just kidding. But that's what Rambo does, right? He's a burnt stone. There's a lot of those people in the church right now. A lot of people that have seen too much, they've experienced too much, they've been hurt by the church. Nehemiah had a wall, and the wall fell apart, and it was burnt. And they had to begin to pick up burnt stones and put them back into the wall to rebuild the wall. That's what a burnt stone is. It's someone that is, they lost their brake pads. They have no more brake pads for stupid. They're over the silliness of it all, but they're to a point that they're actually offended. They just have no, they're, they're like, don't touch me, I'm, it's too much. Don't talk to me, I've already forgotten more than you know. Son, I forgot more than you know. And if they don't allow themselves to be regenerated and sweetened and brought back into the battle, the young lions will starve. Because here's what happens with the young lions. The young lions, they, they may lack and grow hungry, but those that fear the Lord lack no good thing. But the young lions are this generation of young people that they are built to go do something. They're looking for a reason to win. They're looking for an excuse to do something. They're looking for purpose. you got a whole generation of young people that's staring at cell phones and staring at media. Now you got virtual reality that they're living in. And it is such a dramatic thing that they need a purpose because they don't have physical contact with people like our generations did. So they're looking just for somebody to talk to. And the old burnt stones are so irritated with the young generation saying, what a bunch of worthless millennials, Generation Z, what a bunch of punks, and I don't disagree. You want to slap half of them to death. You know, like, that's not how winning's done. That's how losing is done, but that's not how winning's done, right? And you want to begin to help them. But here's the thing. The burnt stones are anointed to answer the fight inside of the young lions. Because if they don't do it, the young lions, they'll either burn down the darkness or they will burn down vehicles in the streets like Antifa. Now, I'm from Minneapolis, Minnesota. We've been to ground zero of what happened a year and a half ago. That's not the town I remember. And my wife had a kidney transplant right in the hospital on the same street that took place in, like right down the block, you know? So one of the things we've got to realize is that we're going to begin to bring this forward. Then, of course, what I mentioned also is the Cinderella's. The Cinderella's are those people that are trapped in golden bird cages. They're people that have ideas, inspiration, but they're being hijacked by an institution. They're being used for their gifts, their abilities, their creativities, and they're not really doing it for a kingdom purpose or their highest design. They're trapped in an institutional cage, and actually some people admire them and say, oh, how wonderful. I can't even tell you how many people I meet with that are majorly leaders on major platforms that are absolute Cinderella's. They came up with an idea. They have an inspiration and unction from God. Then it got hijacked by an institution. And now they are propped up as a poster child for what the institution wants. And they're in a golden birdcage. And everybody envies them and wishes they had their position, but they don't realize they're trapped. Some pastors are in golden birdcages. 
They're in golden bird cages because God's called them to do something. And they, they started out pastors, business people, ministers, whatever. They start out with an unction from God. And then they do whatever they have to do to get some notoriety. And that's wrong. And when you do whatever you have to do to get a notoriety, the saddest thing that can ever happen to an, an inspired voice or a godly person, either in business, church, marketplace, wherever you are in society, the, the worst thing that can happen is to be empowered in an area you're not anointed to be in. I call it being in the wrong lane, and now you're empowered in the wrong lane. And if you get empowered in the wrong lane, you're headed for disaster, especially if you go into the passing lane with oncoming traffic. Because when you got oncoming things coming at you, if you're in the wrong lane and you're empowered in the wrong lane, that's why so many leaders lash out and they act wrong towards people, is because they're probably a good person, they're just in the wrong lane. And they're empowered. And people empowered in the wrong lane, uh, they started out in, in maybe in a good heart, but they did whatever it took to get in that lane. And now when the pressure's on, the real them comes out. The real person that's not anointed to be in that position. That's why you have leaders that just treat people terrible sometimes. They treat them terrible. Is this blessing you so far? Are we good? But you recognize when people begin to act that way, sometimes you need to have mercy on them because they probably got empowered in the wrong lane. And God is trying to confront them with the reality that they need to change. You know, oftentimes people that get empowered in the wrong lane, I call them scavenger voices. There's like Ambulance Chaser Ministries International, right? Uh, where they, they just like, they want to capitalize on a crisis or capitalize on something to, to get behind something and go do it. But they haven't really been tenured. They just pretend they are. And then they get splattered on the highway, okay? Praise the Lord. That was too much. Okay, so here's what I want to say about this, though, is what's really important. And then there's the wild card of the Rudolphs. Rudolphs are those with their oddity that become a commodity, right? Rudolph had the, the big red nose, and all the other reindeer used to laugh and call him names, remember? They never let poor Rudolph play in any reindeer games, right? Then one foggy Christmas Eve, what happened? Santa came to say, Rudolph, with your goofy nose so bright, won't you guide our sleigh tonight? After Rudolph saved the day, all the other reindeer wanted to play with Rudolph. They liked him again, or they never liked him in the first place. They liked Rudolph now. Here's what we've got to realize. Some of you are an outcast about to become a broadcast. Rudolph was an outcast until his oddity became a commodity and he became a broadcast. These all that I've just defined, these four classes of individual, are what I consider the reformers. Because a reformation is coming, it's a reformation, and God's going to offend our minds to reveal our hearts. He's going to begin to bring things forward where there is an absolute breakthrough, but it's going to come through those that in an attempt to breathe life into the institution will be persecuted by the institution. And it's so crazy how the institution always persecutes those that have the answer for them. Barna Research Group did a study on this some time ago, many years ago actually, and they began to say somewhere around 20 years, roughly, the 20-year mark, you have someone that comes out as a now voice in their generation, a now word comes forward in their generation. They begin to deliver that word. They have a uniqueness about them, and therefore a movement begins or a culture is built, and then they get to their peak. They come to the zenith of what God's called them to do, and then unless they hand it off to the next generation properly with a now word for their culture, they go into decline. Happens that you can measure it. When it goes into decline, at the 20-year mark is when it becomes institutionalized. So movements become institutions roughly at the 20-year mark. When this takes place, decline begins to happen, and that is when it becomes dangerous. Because then institutions look at the new and they say, I can't be that. I used to be the hip with it thing. I used to be the modern day voice of God in this setting. I used to be, used to be, used to be. And it always says the old wineskin can't handle the new, right? So what happens is they begin to attack and persecute because whatever an institution, or this is the way my daddy always did it, this is the way we do it, therefore you will do it this way. And every generation has reformers that stand up, and it's, it's difficult sometimes because reformers, if they're offended, they're terrible. If you have offended reformers and they just want to go burn the institution down, that's not right. 
But if you have institutions that are touchy about reformers, the reformers of this generation need to be tough enough, loving enough, clear-minded and minded, clear-minded enough to go into an institutional setting and breathe life into it under persecution. Because whatever the institution cannot control, it must kill. And if it can't kill, it'll persecute. So welcome to the rest of your life. <laughs> but I've got good news for you today. We're going to go to school just for a second. This is going to really help you. Um, I want to I take you to a little bit of a Bible study here just for a moment. I think it's going to really help you. But we're going to get into this. We need to rise to meet this culture. The way church has been no longer works today. The way we're reaching young people, it's not the way. We try to reach young people the way we were reached, and it will not work. It will not work. And here's what I'm not saying. Well, you know, get with the program. That's not at all what I'm saying. I'm saying we need to seek the Lord. We need to start saying, God, you have the answer for this culture. We don't, but you do. And therefore, we just line up with you. I know this. Some of the coolest people I've ever been with were far my senior. When I used to hang out with Dave Duell, and we traveled all over the world together, and he preached, that guy, young people, loved him. There was nothing like relevant about him other than, I love you, son! Yeah! And then he'd release the power of God. Sometimes he'd push you down. Sometimes the power hits you. Who knows, you know? And, and people would be laying all over the floor, and people loved it. I remember being in Brazil with Dave Duell. We're on a stage. Thousands and thousands of people are in this audience. And we're going back and forth. We teamed up like the evangelist and the prophet or the apostle and the prophet. And we're standing up there, and Dave started calling out healing, and I started calling out prophecies to people in the audience. It was so funny because both of us had our luggage missing. So we showed up in T-shirts. <laughs> We're just there in T-shirts you know, that we'd worn for three days in jeans. You know, and Dave and I, he's like, ah, come on, son, let's get them. I'm like, let's get them. You know? and, and the interpreters couldn't keep up because we're going after it. And all of a sudden, I remember for sure Dave started calling out healing and people started coming to the front and he started tapping them with a microphone. If you've ever been in a Dave Duell meeting, you'll never forget it. And people started falling on the ground. And the audience, and demons started coming out of people, and the audience in the back had never seen that before. And they started to stand up. Thousands of young people started roaring and shouting because they'd never seen the power of God before, and they rushed the platform. So I'm prophesying, and they're trying to pull Dave off the, the stage. They're trying to get a hold of my ankles. And when we got done, when we get done with this meeting, the leader said, uh, 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 Prophet uh, uh, Joseph, uh, Dave, David, uh, Pastor Dave, we love you, right? This is how they talk in Brazil when they speak English. And they began to say to us, if we don't leave right now, you will not leave till tomorrow night. We are not kidding. They said, run. <laughs> and we're running with the pastors out of the building, and the crowd is chasing us alongside of us. And typically, I'd stay for that, but I thought, the pastor said run, so we're running. <laughs> They're chasing us, thousands of people. Oh, wait, oh, man of God. I'm like, ah. And so we got to the car, and we tore out of there, and the pastor said, I did not mean to do that, but they've never seen anything like that. If we kept you there, you would have never left. Our security would have not got you back. They would have pulled us out in the audience and worked us all night, which I'd have been okay with if we didn't die, you know? And so... <laughs> So it was, it was awesome, but here's what the young generation needs. It needs to be reintroduced to the power of God. It needs to be reintroduced to the power of God. Everywhere we went in Brazil and other, other places, they'd end up, I remember the pastors took us to a retreat, and there was these hot springs in the middle of Brazil, and we're at these natural hot springs, and we're there, and they said, we just want to bless you. People recognized me and Dave, and they flooded the hot springs, and I'm prophesying to people in the water. It was awesome. But here's the deal. I'm saying this just to say, every youth conference I've ever spoken at, every time I get up on stage, you know, I don't, I'm so not impressed with me, believe me. But you get up there and you begin to say, man, Jesus is Lord, and then you start releasing the power of God to young people, they look up from their cell phones. It starts to break them out of things. They say, what is this? I was at one youth conference. My very dear friend, Ryan Edberg, he has a conference called Kingdom Youth Conference. I highly recommend it to, to young people. Because he's getting them baptized in the spirit. He's preaching the gospel. It's, uh, it's the last itinerant youth conference in America. And I just love being a part of it. And we were preaching at one. The Lord sent me to and said, you will go there. And I found a, 
a uh, young lady that God had sent me to showed me who it was. I went to the conference on assignment because I wasn't going. The Lord said, no, you're getting on a plane right now. I said, what? God, I just told them we're not going. He said, oh, I didn't say you weren't going. You're going. I was like, yes, sir. I get on this plane. I fly all the way. This particular one was in Tennessee. We get there, and I get off the plane, and I go to this conference, and there was this one young lady, and the Lord said, that one. And I went and I said, and I got the parents and this young lady and Ryan and a few of us, we went in another room. And I said, the Lord told me to come and minister to you specifically. And they're like, okay. And I said, because you're dealing with same-sex attraction. And they said, yeah, I want to marry a girl. And I said, well, honey, can I talk to you for a while? So we went at it for four hours as she got delivered. She got delivered, okay? Like dating guys and stuff like that. So... God will do assignments, and at that same conference, I began to preach then. They had me in there, and I started prophesying to the young people, and uh, my session was done. I stepped off the stage, Pastor Kent, and I started walking to the back, and uh, when I got in the hallway, I realized the entire conference stood up and began to follow me into the hallways of the conference, and I ended up in this boardroom trapped for the next eight-plus hours as Jason and I sat in there and prophesied over one youth after another all day into the night. People started coming and trying to throw food to me. And we were there. The young people need an encounter with God. Yes, we have to answer their questions uh, intellectually and analytically. That's very important. But if we're not giving them the power, intellect will not satisfy. Because there will always be another question. And always another why. But why? But why? And Mars Hill had that. And Paul had very, he didn't have a lot of effect on Mars Hill because there was no power displayed. It was an intellectual sparring. And the generation we're looking at, they need a show me gospel, not a tell me. We need a little show and tell, amen? Maybe Kent and I will do that. Praise God, a little show and tell. Thank you, Jesus. All right, let's, um, let's draw something on the board here real quick, if we can do this. Can you guys see this okay from where you are? Well, we'll find out. Praise God. You guys are awfully quiet today. We go all Presbyterian, we convert? <laughs> yeah? All right. Praise the Lord. Um, praise God. I'll just step up here then. Uh, I feel maybe like it could be a Catholic setting a little bit where my father can be your father at Domino's. Nobody? Okay. <laughs> Look at this. Okay, let's, let's do this real quick if we can. Pay very close attention to what I'm about to write on here because here's what we got to begin to talk about is in the New Testament, there's the Hebrew or rather the Greek word. The Greek word for saved is the word sozo. Okay, we've heard that before. Uh, sozo, and then salvation is another word in the New Testament, and the word salvation is the Greek word soteria, okay? So let me write these two words on here, sozo and soteria, all right? These two words really kind of make up the salvation narrative, sozo and soteria. Sozo means save, soteria means salvation. You see the difference? If you combine these two words together, which are used hundreds of times in the New Testament, that's where you get everything that you see when the prayer of faith will save the sick. That's actually the word sozo. Sozo is present tense. Soteria is, is also present but past tense. When you combine these two together, you get seven different meanings. Okay? You get the word saved. You get the word delivered. You get the word, um, what's the word? Pros no, let's see. You get the word preserved. You get the word protected. You get the word to prosper. You get the word healed. And you get the word whole. Okay, you with me so far? These are seven parts of your salvation. Seven parts of your salvation is found in these two words. That means when you got born again, you didn't just get saved, which means uh, from hell. This is your fire insurance. Delivered means Psalm 91. He delivers you from all things. Galatians chapter 1, like around verse 3 and 4, it says, It is the will of God that we are delivered through Christ Jesus from this present evil age. God wants you delivered from this present evil age. It's his will. 
You're already delivered from it. You just got to receive it. Now, then it goes into preserved. What does preserved mean? What does that mean? Well, we realize that it says in 2 Thessalonians 5.23, it's talking about, may the God of peace himself sanctify you wholly or completely, spirit, soul, and body. What sanctification is, is an aligning with your soul with what's done in the spirit. In other words, your behavior lines up to what you've already got. When you do that, there's a preservation, though, that we're promised, meaning your body is reserved for the day that it's transformed. So this is a sanctification. I'll just put that. A sanctification for the day that Jesus returns. Right? He keeps us, spirit, soul, and body. And then finally, even our bodies will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. When we see him, we'll be made like him, for we'll see him as he is. But our bodies right now, were preserved in faith for that day. This is also why we get water baptized. You don't get water baptized to get saved, but you water baptized because it's an obedient thing to do. If you're born again, you want to get baptized because you are making a profession, an action of your salvation. And people always argue, well, you don't have to be baptized. Well, no, you don't. Technically, true. But if you are born again, you get baptized. Because you're lining up with saying, this is me saying even in one regard, this is me giving my body being baptized as if to say I've died to this natural world and I'm alive to Christ. And my body is preserved for the day that Jesus returns. Let's keep going. So there's a preservation anointing that he keeps you. In a sense, you're immortal. You're immortal until you're called home. You're immortal until you give up. That's your rights. Okay, let's keep going. Now remember, when you say, hey, I'm saved, this is what it means. Get this in your mind. When, you're, when you say, I'm a believer in Jesus, this is what you have. All of this. This is like as much as you are, you know, Pastor Kent was talking about um, prosperity today. Well, you don't, you know, people don't want to talk about it because of how embarrassing it can be, as we've been mentioning. It can be embarrassing to prosper and, and it's hard to talk about it sometimes. Well, it can also be embarrassing to be healed. So if you get healed, you might want to tell somebody about it. It's no different than if you prosper. You might want to tell somebody about it. Now look at this. Protected. Protected is absolutely that divine protection. Again, Psalm 91. Uh, there's many different scriptures. Psalm 34. You begin to see this, that you're protected. There's a supernatural protection. Delivered, when you're delivered from the snare of the follower, this means from demons, from accusation, from people coming at you. You're not delivered of persecution, but you can overcome it. And there's all these things you recognize with delivered, okay? And this involves addictions, everything. So you have a supernatural right by the blood of Jesus to be delivered of anything that ails you. Anything, okay? Now we get to prosperity. I love this. Prosperity is, what is it, Third John begins to talk about this. Beloved, I wish above all things you would prosper and be in good health as your soul prospers. What does that mean? You prosper or can receive to the level of what you can believe. If your belief is down here, that's your lid. You have everything, but you can't attain it unless you can believe it and possess it and have a revelation of it. Okay? Prosperity is obvious. This stuff here is, you're the only lid on that. Healed, this is where it says in the Great Commission, the prayer of faith, as James says, will save the sick or heal the sick. Lay hands on the sick, the Great Commission says, and they will recover. Right? Anoint the sick with oil. They'll recover. Recovery is different than wholeness. A lot of times people pray for healing. They say, ah, oh, nothing happened. Well, that's a miracle. Miracles and recovery are two different things. Our son was uh, diagnosed autistic at a very young age. Like he wouldn't speak. He'd just bounce up and down, never communicate, wouldn't look anybody in the eyes. He'd sit in a corner and just bounce and, and create and speak gibberish. Just crazy gibberish would come out of him. So we, for years, every night at bed, Heather and I would lay hands on him and speak in tongues and begin to just command his body whole. And it took years, but he began to recover. And I'll never forget, he started speaking. And he speaks clearly today. He communicates. You know, he'd be like, hello, Father. You know, he's, he's unique. You know, <laughs> he'll say things like, hello, Father. I'm so glad to see you. I'm like, well, hi, Danny. Good to see you. And he's very intelligent. Like, he memorizes whole books of the Bible. And when we go get him haircuts and stuff, there's times he'll start breaking down uh, different scriptures. And he'll say, um, if your eye is dark, your whole body is dark. Therefore, 
let the light of salvation come into your eyes. And he begins to talk about like quoting a whole book of James, whole book of Matthew, whole chapter uh, to, to people. And there's been hairstylists that just start weeping. They're like, oh, what's happening? And he's just like, it is okay. Jesus loves you. Repent and turn from your sins. You know? And, and he's, he's very like, very mechanical, very clear. But like, he just stares at you and you're like, and, and that kid, man, if there's anything unrighteous, he can't handle it. He's like, no. Jesus wants you to walk uprightly before the Lord. I'm like, yes, son, you know. Um, you know, he has no fear of the dark. We never showed our kids horror movies, obviously. We never let them be exposed to that kind of stuff. My son will walk out in the dark in the middle of the night and be like, Danny, there's wild animals in the mountains. Remember, we don't stand outside at 3 in the morning and stare at the stars all alone in the dark in the middle of nowhere. And he, he just really has none of that because he so believes the word of God and he's so committed to it. But God took him from a place of no communication, but it was a recovery, not a miracle. And sometimes we get this all mixed up. We're like, God didn't do it. Well, you got to be biblical. There's a cooperation. Yes, we all want the miracle. Amen. And I think we should ask for miracles more. And God will deliver those. But I'm just saying to you, sometimes when Bible says we lay hands on the sick, they shall recover. That's a progressive recovery. Okay? So don't get discouraged when you pray. It's like, well, nothing changed. Yeah, it did. Yeah, it did. You're probably just in the way of what's in the spirit coming into the natural. Okay, there's a lot there. Wholeness is a whole other category. This is where the ten lepers came to Jesus. Remember the story? He said, be healed. They left. And remember, one came back. Do you remember the one came back? And he said, Lord, thank you. And Jesus said, where's the other nine? Wasn't, there was ten of you. Where's the other nine? And he said, well, go your way. Your faith has made you whole. Wholeness is very different than healing. Wholeness is a recovery mission. Healing is leprosy is stopped, right? Jesus said, be healed. Leprosy was stopped. It probably stopped the wounds. They kind of recovered. They healed up. Wholeness is where what was taken is restored to a better level than the original state. So when Jesus said, go, your faith has made you whole, as the man was walking away, he probably didn't have a nose, probably didn't have some digits, probably missing a foot, whatever it was. As he was going, it all regenerated in his body. The thumb came back. The foot came back. The ear came back. His eyes were restored. And better than before, his complexion probably became perfect. I'll tell you, I like wholeness. So there's two levels to healing. Obviously, there's miracles and all this, but healed and whole are two different categories of restoration, okay? If you take an old Ford Mustang that you find in a garage, you can buff it up, make it drivable, and it's good. You've healed it. It's running. You can sit in it. You can drive it. But if you're going to do a full point restoration, it means you retrofit that thing. You give it a new paint job. You take new paint that's not 50 years old. You take new parts and you put it in that are manufactured today. You find some old that still work, but you have a brand new car that looks like the old one, but better. That's wholeness. Yeah? How many of you want some wholeness in your finances? <laughs> wholeness in your children? Wholeness in your body? Well, you can have it. It's already provided. Now, let me show you one other thing that's going to really help you here today. Praise God. Here's what we got to realize, and I try to draw some simple pictures, simple understandings of these things, and it's important we recognize this because a lot of times we think that God's withholding from us. It's not true, ladies and gentlemen. Let me just draw a quick one for you here. Here we go. Okay, let's say this represents the world we live in, okay? Let's say this side here represents the natural. This side represents the spirit. Okay, hang with me. This part here represents the soul, or we could call this the veil, all right? When you're looking at this picture, you realize 1 Corinthians 15, verse 46, it begins to talk about how the spiritual is not first. Now, if I were to ask people in here, what's the first? What's the greater reality? What's the parent force we come from? Well, the natural did not create the spirit. God was not created by man's idea. 
The old Rich Mullins song, I did not make it, it is making me. It's the very truth of God, not the invention of any man. Ding, 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 right? Nobody? Okay, you're welcome. <laughs> I believe in God the Father, Almighty maker of heaven and maker of earth. And Jesus Christ is only begotten. We need to get back to some of this stuff. Don't raise your hands, but how many of you, if I throw out a term called the six doctrines of Christ, how many of you in here know what I'm talking about? Thank you. That would be Kent's dad. Praise God. Here's what we've got to recognize. The six doctrines of Christ is in Hebrews chapter 6, and it's talking about the six fundamental doctrines. We need to know this stuff. Okay? Now, you get beyond this, though. In the natural... Here's what I'm saying. In the natural, 1 Corinthians 14 or 15, 46, it's talking about the spirit is not first, but the natural. What does that mean? What does it mean that the spirit is not first, but the natural? Well, it's really simple. The natural is where we do our daily routines. Okay? We do our daily routines. I encourage you to look up first, or Hebrews chapter 1, or Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. It'll really help you. And look at like verse 1, 2, and 3 and learn the six doctrines of Christ. But the routine is the natural. In other words, what you do is a natural activity. You don't, um, you don't go to work by the Spirit. You don't get up in the morning and begin to pray in tongues to brush your teeth. You don't, you don't do that, right? You don't get up in the morning and go and uh, you start exercising. Some people wake up in the morning and they say, good morning, Lord. Other people wake up and they say, good Lord, it's morning, right? That's how some people are. They wake up just totally going, what is this about? Man, here I'm alive again, made it another night. You're not waking up in the spirit. You're not like, oh, I'm in the spirit. Uh, my eyes opened and I began to sense the presence of the Lord in my room. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Mufasa. Right? Oh, Mufasa. Oh, good morning, Holy Spirit. Let's go make some coffee together unless we've given it up for Lent, right? You're going over and you're getting coffee. Oh, Jesus. That's not how most people wake up. <laughs> good morning, sweetheart. Good morning. It's not like that. I mean, it's like, you awake, I'm awake. What do we got to do today? I don't know. Get out of bed. I don't know. I don't know how you are, but I get up in the morning, I'm like, whew. Nobody's tough as Jack. Nobody's tough. Anyway, that's from Zorro. And so, um, so you, you get up, you, you, know, you do your push-ups, you get with it. And then what do you do? You make a choice by willpower to get in the Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost doesn't just jump on you. Good morning, loved one. Good morning, Lord. It's not how you wake up. Oh, aren't you just my precious one today? Oh, I know I am. I'm your favorite, God. Everybody, you know, that says that. I'd love to see them at three in the morning when you kick them. Yeah, oh, Jesus. You know, I, sorry. <laughs> no, it's a fight. The spirit is not first. The natural is. That means you wake up to the natural. You're walking in the natural. You brush your teeth in the natural. You do your taxes in the natural. And by faith, you're walking with the Lord. Now, this applies to just beyond what you do in your daily grind. This applies to, it applies to your faith. We know that we're saved by grace, right? Through faith. By grace, through faith we are saved. Ephesians says it. Romans says it. We're saved by grace, by what God did, through our faith. But it also teaches us that as, as Titus says, as we received him, so walk ye in him. Right? So the same way you receive Jesus by faith is the same way you receive everything else that you need on a daily basis from the Lord. Now let's explain it. Let me break it down even more. This is where the war is right here. The war arena. People think the war is in the heavenlies. I propose to you that this is the heavenlies. Your mind, will, and emotions. Are there principalities out there? Yes. Are there demonic entities that fly around and try to do this? Like little wicked dragons, you know, flying around. I'm going to go deceive you. You know, that you got that going on in the world, right? 
But when I'm flown around in airplanes, I don't look out the window and see the, the devil flying around like a dragon or a roaring lion with, you know, leathery wings in the heavens. And you got intercessors screaming out the windows, yeah, you know, that's not what they're doing. You know, they're not just going fully, they're, they're not doing anything if they do that. Why? Because you don't see the devil up there flying around chasing airliners like a winged dragon. That's not what he's doing. That's not what he is. No, there are principalities and powers, but it is connected and linked to whatever ability they have to influence the souls of men. Because men have dominion on the earth, and if the devils and principalities and demons and whatever ugly little critters are out there have influence on the minds and hearts of mankind, meaning you and me, or leaders of nations that have their finger on a button that says nuclear, or the ability to roll tanks into another nation, or the ability to hide a genetic disaster, or the ability to crash economic systems, that's where the principalities and powers are in the minds of these crazy individuals. And yes, they might be demons that fly around in the air. The high places are the mind. And I can prove that, but we don't have enough time today. But if you go into the Greek and you look in Ephesians where it says the prince of the power of the air, there's two different words for air, A-I-R and A-E-R. The A-I-R word is not what is used there. The A-E-R word in the Greek is used, and it's talking about the lower dense regions, roughly six feet off the ground, where human brains are. It's not talking about the mountaintops, the A-I-R, clean air. It's talking about lower, denser, dirty air. Okay. The prince of the power of the air is the prince of the power of the effect on the human mind. Okay? Now, when you get into this, you start understanding that the war is in the soul. It's in this veil. The prince of the power of the air and whatever free moral agents give their thoughts and hearts over to is what they will become servants to. You with me so far? But here's how we overcome it. Our routine, in the natural, the spiritual is not first, but the natural. What does that mean? Is prayer spiritual or is prayer natural? It starts natural and engages spiritual activity. Is the laying on of hands spiritual or is it natural? The laying on of hands starts out spiritual and it induces supernatural responses. Is giving spiritual or is it natural? Giving is natural, but it induces spiritual responses. Let me explain. People say, tithe is not in the New Testament. We're under grace. Right? Grace. A lot of gracists out there. Now listen. You're welcome. It is in the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 8. It says, now get this, and this is a principle, not just for this topic. It's a principle. Remember, grace is the realm of the Spirit. By grace, we are saved. By grace, we have everything that belongs to us. But you have to do a natural action to get a spiritual or supernatural reaction. Okay? So when you sow, and the principle here is Hebrews chapter 7, verse 8, where it begins to talk about you give by doing a natural action. So you sow, and we're just taking this as an example. It says here in the natural, the church can pay its bills. Mortal men receive it. But then it says something really peculiar. It says, but there... He receives it. What? Here, you sow into the church. I remember the first time I ever gave an offering when I was younger. I gave everything I had, and I watched the bucket go, Pastor Karen. I was like, they, we sowed it, and they walked away, and I was like. <laughs> I watched it go to the back room, and I thought, there's still time. <laughs> I could go get that back. They'd give it to me. They're Christians. <laughs> right? But here, you watch your loot go in a bucket and go to the back. And you're like, well, I gave it to Jesus, I guess. Seems more like I gave it to the church. 
right? But you're mistaken. Here, mortal men receive it. But there, he receives it of whom it is witnessed that he lives. Who's it talking about? Jesus. When you sow, you know, that's why I never say, that was bad seed I sowed. Uh Uh-uh. If you give it unto the Lord, it doesn't matter if the ministry or the church or some leader goes crazy. They do the wrong thing with it. It doesn't matter. Your seed might have gone there in the natural, but in the spirit, it went to Jesus. Okay? So you do this, and so you sow in the natural. That's an action. But then, there he receives it, of whom it is witnessed that he lives. Something begins to happen here. You're starting something. You're beginning a reaction. A supernatural reaction. So the spirit's not first. The natural is. And that's why you have to overcome the war in the soul, the mind, will, and emotions. You overcome it by natural faith actions. Why do charismatics come off so weird? Because to the natural, they're very weird. Very weird. I can't tell you how many times Heather and I, when we couldn't pay our bills and throw our bills on the ground, stand on them and begin to declare... Paid in Jesus' name. And we're doing a natural action and giving and sowing to get a faith-filled reaction. And then what happens? You get a breakthrough that sprouts out into the natural. And you suddenly begin to have manifestation happening. But it starts with an action. Faith is, is in the, the natural. This is where faith is. This is where grace is. Grace is where it's done. Faith is where you pull on what's done. Faith is the bridge to what you already possess. It's like going to the bank and saying, I'd like to make a withdrawal. And you begin to do this. So how do you begin to to cause victory to happen in your life? Well, you begin by simply taking all of this and any one of these areas in your life that you're looking for from God that you already possess, you need to do a faith action causing a reaction in the spirit until it has a supernatural manifestation. This is called a supernatural response. You're getting a supernatural action. You're getting a cycle of blessing started. So what do you do when you begin to pray for the sick? You lay hands on them. You say, in Jesus' name, be healed. And in the natural, nothing may look like it happens, but you started something. And the spiritual is greater than the natural, but you've got to keep your mind and heart in belief. You've got to stand on it until it induces that reaction. You need to get a supernatural reaction. So what happens? You sow, you don't see much return. So you sow again, you don't see much return. All of a sudden you get a harvest. And a lot of people say, my harvest has come, and they quit giving. When you get a harvest, you want to give again. And then you... Get a return, and you give again, and suddenly you get a return, and you're always in seed time and harvest time perpetually. Perpetually. The same is true with healing. The same is true with deliverance. The same is true with any area of your life. Any area of your life. Preserved, protected, prosperous, healed, whole, delivered. Praise God. When you get this understanding in place, you have all the knowledge you need. You have all the answers you need. One of the best ways to spice this whole thing up, I'll just draw this real quick, and then we're going to get to work here. One of the best ways to spice this up is by speaking in tongues. You say, why speaking in tongues? Because God knew that your brain is so analytical, you're stuck in the natural. But when you start speaking in tongues, your brain can't comprehend it, but the Spirit's like, finally, I got something to work with. And the spirit begins to do this over your mind and emotions. Speaking in tongues just begins to flow in and out of the natural and the spiritual. You just begin to wander back and forth through that until you induce change. Sometimes when I don't know what to do, Heather and I will walk our house and pray in hours in tongues. Just pray in tongues. I don't know what to pray. So when people say, Joseph, pray for me, I pray for everybody. I get up in the morning and I'll pray in tongues for quite a while and I'm praying over my partners and I'm praying for exactly what they need. So when I say to people, yeah, I'm praying for you, I really am. I really am. Even better than if I were like, oh God, you know the need. Help sister so-and-so. Oh Jesus. (laughs) If you could please just by your benevolence and your mercy, I know you don't want to, God, but I'm begging you. I'm begging you, would you please? Reach down and help of God. That is not faith. (laughs) 
faith is, woo, it is done. And you start commanding in the Spirit. You start praying in the Holy Ghost. That's faith. And prophecy works the same way. All we're doing is tapping into what you really are. All we're doing is tapping into what already belongs to you. Thank you, Father. You got everything you need. You're fully loaded. So here's what you got to do. Here's your homework assignment. Six doctrines of Christ. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. There's six things in there. Read it. It talks about all six of them, and then it says, but we want to go beyond this. And going beyond the foundations of the gospel, it's talking about eternal judgment, the laying on of hands, all that, baptism, right? It gets into that. But going beyond it is talking about when you begin to have your identity in Jesus. That's what it's really saying when we go beyond these foundational elementary things. You begin to discover who you are and what you got. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to get it also. Romans chapter 12, 1, 2, and 3, it goes into, Do not be conformed to this world or the high places or the principalities and powers that try to run your mind, but be transformed by the renewing of this war area. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind to the word of God. Then when you do a faith action in the natural, it's an easier breakthrough through that veil to get into the spirit and victory starts happening much easier. You got to renew your mind. Be careful what you're listening to. Be careful what you're watching and begin to fill yourself up with life. Listen to Pastor Kentmore. Listen to Joseph Z. Moore. You get a breakthrough. Praise God. If you got demons, they'll come out. If you're offended today, you probably need deliverance. <laughs> Some of you are like, yeah, I'm offended, Joseph. Well, you got demons then. Praise God. Listen, you guys almost laughed. That was good. Thank you, Jesus. Heather's like, Joe, you're too dry sometimes. I'm like, yeah, I know. People don't know it. Thank you, Jesus. God wants you to win so much more than you do. Sir, I'm looking at you in the suit and tie there, and there's a breakthrough happening for you right now, this month. God's breaking you out of some of the containment you've been in, what you've been trying to walk through, what you're doing. I see many years of uh, voices and religious institutional understanding that's come at you, and I see God changing that and projecting you forward in a whole new level of freedom and liberty. I just speak the blessing over you today in Jesus' name. God is with you, and he's going to keep opening doors for you, and it's going to get really good in this season. Sometimes when things fall off and it's super painful, God begins to bring a restoration story, and you are stepping into one. And I bless you in Jesus' name. Praise God. It's so good. Thank you, Father. Dad over here, I bless you in Jesus' name. For the Spirit of the Lord is upon you. He's anointed you. You got a lot of wisdom to give. If people would listen, you got a lot to unload on them. You got a lot to say. I'll tell you, the Spirit of God has put wisdom and revelation and truth inside you that'll break people through in Jesus' name. And there's so much that has... Um, I don't know what this is, but you've had, like, success follow you for many years. I see success on your life. Like, yeah, it's her, right? <laughs> He's pointing at her. Amen. <laughs> but there's, a, there's an anointing for success on you, and you could teach others how to succeed. You really have that to impart and say, you know what? If you don't do stupid things and you do smart things, it's going to be great. And, uh, but I see this wisdom you carry, and I honor you both. I honor you in Jesus' name. You carry a, a very honorable mantle. And, um, you know, if people really knew the kind of things you stood up for and the kind of things you did for many, many years, I think they'd be pretty surprised at the authority that you've spoken into. And I just bless you in Jesus' name. I speak life over you. You're good, good people, and I honor you today in the name of the Lord. Father, I bless Kent's dad in Jesus' name. The Spirit of God is upon you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. I saw your hands in dirt and you were digging and began to go into the dirt and begin to go into the trenches. And the Lord is saying, there's some of that will, that will continue, but I'm going to draw you back from that. And now wisdom will be needed and an elder, fathering, loving anointing will begin to come forward and break young people out of their shackles. And victory will begin to come. It is also a present need that God's going to meet supernaturally. He's going to come forward and begin to unfetter that from you. And paid in full is what God is saying over your life. You have a paid in full anointing on you, and it's going to manifest with great increase and great persuasion, and God is going to take you to the end of your days with a shout. And I bless you, man of God, in the name of Jesus. I speak life and a renewed strength and a renewed vigor and the mind of Christ that speaks wisdom to so many people, brother. You're awesome. I just bless you. 
There's like an old hobby God's going to bring you back to that started out many, many years ago. A creative way. And it's going to come back to you. And God's going to say, remember this? Yeah, that was a long time ago, but we're going to revisit some things. And there's going to come a renewed joy in that. And I bless you in the name of Jesus. Sir, I honor you. I honor you for raising a godly son. I honor you for what you've done for the kingdom. And we just honor you and salute you today in the name of Jesus. Thank you for who you are. I bless you. Praise God. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. The Lord is gracious. The Lord is compassionate. Praise God. I love the young people here. You guys are not the picture of what I was talking about. You're clear-eyed, clear-minded, uh, giant killers. You're warriors. You're the best. On a bad day, you are the best there is. Praise God. We got all these monkeys and idiots running our country. And uh, what we need is we need some young lions to stand up. And that's you. God uses what seems to be the weak things to shame the strong. And it's going to be local churches. It's going to be the rural communities. This is America. I got great hope for America. I don't know about you. I ain't going out without a really good fight. Devil, you can't have our kids. You can't have America. And God's weaponized this ministry and sending us into places by faith, weaponized us by faith, where we're going in and standing with people and causing them to live. And we have, I have connections with, uh, you know, one of my family members is running for the governor of Minnesota right now. Uh, could end up being governor of Minnesota. He's throwing that other guy out. And that guy's just part of the spirit of Antichrist. And so he's contending with them. And so um, I hope he wins. Uh, I got to meet with a lot of senators and leaders in that state because of it. We sat in meetings like this and talked with them and unbelievers and believers and prophesying to them and telling them God loves them. And, you know, we need to get over our petty differences with denominationalism. If we want to drop down doctrinally and talk, that's fine. That's for another conversation. But during this season, we need to unite with anyone that says Jesus is Lord, and we need to take this country back. They're like, you speak in tongues. I'm like, you don't. Who cares? Let's go win. You know, we sprinkle, we dunk, and people get all bent out of shape about that. Could we please grow up? Seriously. You know, people are dying. We got stuff burning literally, and everybody's just like, I don't know if I agree with that. Well, who asked you? Are you doing something or not? Praise God. I have people freaking out at us sometimes because we won't attack certain ministers that they think they know something negative about. And I just want to say to them, and I do say to them, who died and made you God? Jesus is head of the church. He deals with his leaders. If somebody's off, Jesus is going to deal with it. It's not our position unless we have direct relationship with that person or unless we have a voice to that person or unless they are publicly destroying people and destroying the gospel, then yes, we stand up and get our pitchforks and torches and burn it down. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Thank you, Jesus. You guys are a great church. You are. You are America. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus, for high intelligence Thank you, Lord, for all the gifts that are inside this young man in Jesus' name. For the Spirit of the Lord has put great intelligence, great brilliance, and many things that begin to solve riddles and problems. God's put a brilliant mind like a computer inside this young man. And I begin to speak strength and victory in every evil thing that's tried to assault him. I bind it in Jesus' name. For where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And I release fullness of the gospel over you. Man of God, I love you. God believes in you, and I believe in you. You're awesome. You are awesome. In Jesus' name. Praise God. Oh, glory to God. Well, we're going to have another meeting tonight. I guess it's a little ways away because this church is growing. I'll tell you what, this, you guys are family to us. We love coming here. Uh, Heather wishes she could be here. She had to take care of Allie last second. She had to have a, a surgery on her mouth, and she's fine, but it was a pretty painful deal. And involved her nerves and all this stuff. So she's doing great. But it just, you know, it took a lot. And when you get on some of those medications, you get kind of like crazy. And so Heather had to stay with her. And uh, we just, we've decided a long time ago we put family over ministry. If one of my kids calls me while I'm in the pulpit, I take the call. It's important. It's important. I sat down for three years to serve our family first. 
And uh, we were really succeeding at that time, I'll tell you. Uh, it's an investment I'm so glad I made. Thank you, Jesus. Canceled a stadium meeting to stay home because God asked me to, and I think that's important. We got to choose, we got to get our priorities right. Same thing with America. We got to get our priorities in line here. Praise God. If God is changing your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. If you would like to give or would like more information on how we are making a difference, visit ociperryville.com.